Hello, and welcome to the special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Tara Stingley, a partner with Klein Williams in Omaha, Nebraska. Here on Employment Matters, we bring you updates from around the world as we dial in our local ELA lawyers. These good folks practice on the ground in jurisdictions around the globe, working daily to help their clients move through these difficult times. Today, we're chatting with one of our members in Alaska. Joining us on the program is Amy Robinson, a partner with Miller Nash. And today, Amy's going to share an update with us on return to work planning, vaccination mandates, masking in the 49th states, and all other related issues as we continue through the pandemic. Amy, welcome to the program. How are you? Thanks so much, Tara. I'm doing great. It's fun to be here and have a chance to do this with you. It's great to have you. So we know that employers throughout the U.S. are dealing with a range of options and approaches when it comes to reopening their offices and getting folks who may have been working remotely back into the office. How does that look for employers in Alaska? Well, I'll tell you, it looks very similar to what I know our colleagues in the lower 48 states are are dealing with, frankly. I will say, I think it happened perhaps a bit earlier than some of our colleagues in other states, simply because the industries themselves tend to be very seasonal. Alaska relaxed most of what little statewide mandates it had early on. It now sits at, just for statistics-wise, as of today, I checked before our call, 45% fully vaccinated. They're seeing, as many other places are, upticks in those numbers due to increases in their own positivity rates due to perhaps the Delta variant. But given the industries at issue there, we've got essential industries like oil. We've got the fishing industry that really had to do some pivoting last year and was extra prepared this year for the season. Same thing with travel tourism, a big one. Ships, cruise ships are a big part of the industry and those got a late breaking go ahead. So bookings were last minute. We're hearing that ships are not quite full mostly vaccinated, but those are moving again. So things are getting back to work. Of course, as many of us are, there's also some pulling back. I know there are lots of employers still either doing full remote operations or contemplating a hybrid return this fall or working toward more of a fall return. So lots like elsewhere. So as we talk about remote work, if you would ask me two years ago, I think the general consensus would be it's difficult. It's unexpected. We're not quite sure how remote work will work out. But what's been the biggest surprise to employees working remotely? In other words, what lessons have employers learned about the do's and don'ts of remote work in light of what we've learned through the pandemic? That's a great question. And don't you love that our three weeks, we'll just be through this in three weeks adjustment is we're going on 18 months now. Who knew? You're right. Right. I think one of the surprises, and I think this, you know, this perhaps may be more unique to some employers in Alaska is, you know, the truly remote nature of work from home there. You know, folks are commuting, for example, in Anchorage, we have folks who drive in from the Valley. That's a significant journey. And one of the surprises I saw along the way is, Perhaps a lack of appreciation. A lot of employers had policies that said we don't work from home, right? So we're pivoting overnight to this. And there are some complexities to that arrangement that ideally, when you're doing it with forethought, take some planning. And one of those is you've now adjusted the workplace itself to the home environment. So I've seen one employer surprised because they actually needed the employee in the office. The employee happened to have an issue getting there that resulted in an injury. Long story short, They had not anticipated 
that the time to get to the office because the workplace had been relocated to the home was actually now compensable because it was no longer just commute time. And likewise, there were some workers' comp components to what would have been an ordinary commute issue was, was not quite so ordinary in that context. And of course, as all of us have had who have done any adjustment to remote work, the technology issues and, and the control issues that go with those. So let's talk for a bit about vaccine mandates. We know the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission finally weighed in and said there are generally no prohibitions on employers requiring vaccination as a condition of employment, as long as employers recognize their duty to accommodate individuals with disabilities or sincerely held religious beliefs. But what about Alaska? What are you seeing in your own state? Are vaccine mandates allowed in Alaska? We're in the same state of affairs as our colleagues in the lower 48 in that regard. As may come as no surprise to folks, Alaska tends to be a fairly inherently libertarian atmosphere, so there isn't a lot of desire at the state or local level to regulate those issues. So we don't have a prohibition on mandates, I will say that. So we generally follow the same guidance that you're talking about, which is the federal requirements that require you to consider exceptions where there are deeply held religious beliefs or medical limitations as well as sort of a safety component issue to perhaps an allergy to some component of the vaccine. There are also, as I said, workforce relations issues, of course, inherent with that besides the actual regulatory issues that can come into play. And I think that's very much an issue with Alaskan employers. You know, for example, you may have a, a remote construction operation, for example, and you may have a tolerance for vaccination being a personal choice, but as a nature of the work, for example, somebody is going into an area that has a quarantine. There are some local quarantine requirements, or at least there were for some time. So needing to impose those requirements really as a matter of getting the work done while still respecting those privacy issues and how do you juggle those? So making sure folks know that, you know, we respect your right to be unvaccinated, but this project actually requires it given the travel components to it. So it has been an interesting ride as it has been for a lot of places, for better or for worse, really, truly reliant on both those unique operational issues, workforce tolerance for vaccination, and of course, juggling those federal limitations and protections at play. Now on the accommodations issue, it seems like we've been talking about that for a while, but do you really see that issue being raised a lot with the employers that you're advising that employees are routinely asking for accommodations from a vaccine requirement for a disability or a sincerely held religious belief? I sure do. Absolutely, we do. I would say we have both medical accommodations and non-medical accommodations, and I think it's the second bucket that tends to present the most practical challenges for employers because the context of and the guidance, you know, lots of things related to COVID here, we have, as you know well, we have not had as much guidance as many of us who do this would have preferred. And what is developed maybe still has some gaps to it. And that's certainly the case with regard to the non-medical medical accommodations. For example, in the medical context, you can require and request follow-up information from the healthcare provider that explains what specifically is the condition. How is it impacting a mandate? Is it a temporary recommendation? Is it just due to, you know, we're seeing it where there's hesitancy or reluctance on the part of even the healthcare provider, given the emergency authorization nature of the approvals? That's an easier context than that second bucket, which doesn't have a lot of sure footing for what can we require. You know, you don't get to necessarily require a note from a priest 
because the protections around that are much broader. And particularly in the federal circuit that we're included in the Ninth Circuit, it's incredibly generous. And what religion even means in the context of Title VII's protections is interpreted quite broadly. So it's a tightrope that our employers are walking right now, to be sure. Absolutely. Well, how about even where vaccine mandates are permitted? Do you see the tide turning with respect to private sector employers starting to mandate vaccinations as a condition of employment? Absolutely. I think we all sort of have seen that along the way with other things pandemic related, where the initial guidance as these issues kind of crop up is here's the conservative approach. And then there's always that pivot point where suddenly the momentum is maybe in favor of a more what was initially considered to be a potentially risky proposition. Now there's tolerance for. And I certainly think as we're seeing that at the federal government level, as we're seeing even other state governments you know, mandate vaccines, I think that is impacting private industry. Again, we're not seeing that in Alaska. Alaska, I don't expect that our state government is going to do that. However, I certainly see the momentum shifting, even due to inspiration from, again, I mentioned the tourism industry with cruise ships requiring vaccination. Again, some of those things are helping to support momentum for that effort, for sure. Now, what about masks? We know that the CDC's guidance on that continues to evolve. It's sometimes resulting in mass confusion on whether employers should require it or not, what private sector businesses may do for the public or not. What's the current guidance? Mass confusion is the title of the day, that's for sure. Well, in Alaska, it's very similar to where we are. The CDC guidance is really sort of what folks are looking to, given that with a few exceptions I'll talk about in a minute, there aren't sort of other edicts that are at play here. Having said that, there are a few local jurisdictions that are already starting to reinstitute mask mandates, at least indoors and and some more than that. So Juneau has done so, Anchorage has done so, but really, again, very consistent with sort of the overall hands-off industry approach. It really has been tolerance for what the preference is with private employers so it's, it's left to the employers to figure out if they're going to mandate it. And again, we're back to that. Will your workplace tolerate it? And then we get into the same issues our counterparts in other states are dealing with. Do you require verification and, and making sure if you do, you're storing that information accurately? Again, we're, we're subject to Title VII's protections in that regard, too. It's ADA a little bit of a feeling of deja vu again. <laughs> it is. It is. Feels like we've been going around this hamster wheel for a while now, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And on that note, it feels like what's reasonable continues to evolve depending on the state of the pandemic and the level of infections in certain areas. And this can be really frustrating for employers just trying to do what they can to keep employees safe and do what's best. What's your recommendations to employers on key actions that they could or should continue to take in keeping employees safe as the pandemic continues? My sort of mantra through this has been as much transparency as is possible and including acknowledging that the unknown and changing nature of things, I think helps to maintain a sense of trust within the workforce. I also think, you know, we're now seeing the folks are nervous. We've all been in this state of this pandemic, this emergency, and keeping more than an arm's length away from each other for many, many months now. And so as we're implementing these return to work scenarios and asking folks to come back in, I think you know, maintaining that transparency about what those safety measures are, acknowledging that things may need to change and moving quickly, but also really recognizing the different perspectives that the employees are bringing in each day as you work toward reintegration. 
whether it's an, an immediate everybody's back or whether it's hybrid in part. And finding tools for communicating issues, obviously, before they become the most extreme disputes that we can see. I don't have to tell anybody that tensions have been heightened. Sensitivities are at an all-time high. So acknowledging that we're going to do what we can to make sure everybody's safe, but also have a mechanism for folks to communicate concerns, have perhaps even messaging or communications protocols for folks to talk with each other about kind of spatial comfort levels so that you recognize that people are bringing different sensitivities and expectations in as they return. That's all great advice. It seems like communication and recognition still are very important as we move forward. Absolutely. Well, this is certainly a complicated area of the law for employers, and we know these issues continue to evolve. But Amy, thank you so much for taking the time to discuss these issues with us and for joining us on the program. This has been great. It's been fun to bring you some words from my home state. If you'd like to connect with Amy or any of our lawyers around the world, please search for them on the ELA website at ela.law. Also visit the website to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Tara Stingley. Thanks so much for listening.